Our fifth lesson is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some of the heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what was lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. During the season of Advent, we are looking at the concept of longing, and we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, in that stable in Bethlehem those many years ago to give hope to the world. But as Lyle prayed, we see around our world so much in dispute, so much division, so much left undone. And so we know that that coming of Jesus in the first century was just the beginning and that there's so much left to do. And there's so much left to do in our own hearts to satisfy our deepest longings. And so we're looking at how does Advent answer our longings? How do we find our longings met in the coming of the Son of God? And this morning we're looking at the idea of longing for rest. And I'm going to open up with a quote from Wendell Berry in his book, Jaber Crow. He says, It might seem to you that living in the woods on a riverbank would remove you from the modern world. But on pretty weekends in the summer, this riverbank is the very verge of the modern world. On those weekends, the river is disquieted from morning to night by people resting from their work. This resting involves traveling at great speed. These people are in an emergency to relax. They long for the peace and quiet of the great outdoors. Their eyes are hungry for the scenes of nature. They go very fast in their boats. They stir up the river like a spoon in a cup of coffee. They play their radios loud enough to hear above the noise of their motors. I watch and I wonder and I think. I think of the old slavery and of the, of the way the economy has now improved upon it. The new slavery has improved upon the old by giving the new slaves the illusion that they are free. The economy does not take people's freedom by force, which would be against its principles, for it is very humane. It buys their freedom, pays for it, and then persuades its money back again with shoddy goods and the promise of freedom. Wendell Berry is is describing the fictional town of Port William, but it sounds a good bit like every town 
sounds a good bit like a town that you would invent and you would describe if you were trying to encapsulate in smallness uh, what our culture was like. Maybe even what Portland is like. Maybe racing boats isn't our thing, but we're certainly racing around nonetheless. And some of us have been Christians for quite some time, and we're still waiting for this rest thing to kick in. When's it going to happen? And in fact, our experience with Christianity, that is the, it's been just the reverse. Now we have more things to give attention to. Now we have more things that are screaming for our devotion, and we can't keep up. Well, what are we to do? Are we to recapture some idea of the simpler times, the good old days when people were less frantic and less divided? Well, whatever our image is of that, it probably never existed. Jesus is teaching people about resting in the first century, and he's commenting on a command that went back much further, perhaps over a thousand years. So even in this ancient culture, people had to be taught how to relax. They had to be taught how to rest. The fact that he has to teach people to rest, and our own experience shows us that there's nothing magical about becoming a Christian that all of a sudden we're able to rest, we're able to be at peace. But there is something to learn within Christianity that makes it possible to rest. The Bible talks about rest in terms of Sabbath, and this was a discipline, a rhythm of the day of the week to week life that taking one day devoted to rest that just as god did you were to work six days and then on the seventh day you shall rest now we think about it being very difficult in our time but probably the ancients had it a little bit easier they had less things on their schedule but how difficult would it be in an agrarian society to stop working for one day if you think about it the crops are out in the field or the fish are out in the ocean ready to be caught, and your entire livelihood depends upon that crop. It depends upon that catch. How difficult would it be to stop work entirely for one day when you don't have insurance, when you don't have crop insurance, you don't have a bank account, you don't have all of these accoutrements of the modern world that help us? Yes, our world is more complicated and more speedy, but it's no less simple for them to rest than it is for us. And what this points to is that there's something much deeper than the routine that the Sabbath is pointing to. There's something much more complex and much more foundational about the Sabbath than just setting up your weekly routine of six days on and one day off. I may have shared this with you before, but Sandor Ferenczi was a psychologist in Hungary in the 20th century. And he began to notice this strange thing happening in his patients' lives, that on the weekend, not during the week, they began to get agitated and grumpy and anxious and worried. And over many years of research, he came to the conclusion that they were suffering from the Sabbath. And a New York Times Magazine author wrote uh, a few years back, reflecting on Ferenczi's work, and she says, as a, a non-observant Jew calling back on her days as practicing the Sabbath. On that weekly holiday, not only did drudgery give way to festivity, family gatherings, and occasionally worship, but the machinery of self-censorship shut down too, stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. The Sunday neurotic, rather than enjoying his respite, became distraught, 
he feared that impulses repressed only with great effort might be unleashed. He induced pain or mental anguish to preempt the feeling of being out of control. Stopping work didn't give these people rest, but in fact it raised their anxiety because work was how they were attempting to control their lives and manage people's expectations of them. While working, and think about it in your own life, while working you're accomplishing something, you're doing something tangible. You can close up shop at the end of the day, most of us can, and think, look at what I've accomplished. There's a sense of worth in what we're doing. But stopping work oftentimes doesn't bring rest to us. It brings us anxiety. It brings us fear. And we don't have to be workaholics to be enslaved to work. Because work, what we're actually doing from Monday to Friday, and often all the time during the week, that work is just a proxy for what we're really working for. We're really working underneath that work. We're working for our reputation. We're working to manage people's expectations. We're working for security. We're working to uplift our sense of self-worth. When work isn't just work, but it's how we determine who we are, that sort of work can never be put down. That sort of work doesn't end at Friday on Friday at 5 o'clock. We find Jesus exposing this sort of idea in the scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious authorities that, whose job it was to order the religious life of Israel. And it, he's exposing the fact that they found this a way to turn this gift of the Sabbath, this, this gift of rest, into a duty. You see, their piety, their spirituality had strangely become a wedge between them and God rather than a way for them to experience him and serve him and enjoy him. And this is why they lock horns with Jesus. This is why they want to actually kill him because he violates their pious sensibilities. He puts his finger on how they've taken God's gift and made it a way of defining themselves as, as members of the religious upper class. You see, they've made Sabbath-keeping a way of establishing their own righteousness as a way of proving their self-worth, as a way of distancing themselves from everyone else, judging everyone else. And this is the work underneath the work. This is the work that they can't give up, and often you and I can't give up. This is what the Sabbath was meant to liberate us from. God is not simply saying, stop your work, what is he saying? He's saying, rest your soul. Rest your heart. Give yourself space in which you can begin to see God still that inner murmur of self-reproach. Jesus' disciples were condemned for gathering grain on the Sabbath. Well, why all the fuss? Why was this such a, a big deal? Well, since the commandments were given, since the Sabbath uh, commandment statute was given, the, these religious authorities had worked out in exhaustive detail what was and what was not permitted to do on the Sabbath. They knew to a meter how far you could walk before it then became work. They knew how much you could carry around as a burden before it became work. They knew and they taught that you couldn't swim, you couldn't clap, you couldn't climb a tree, you certainly couldn't dance on the Sabbath. This would represent exertion. This would represent 
taking yourself away from your devotion to God. And it says his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and then eat the kernels. They considered this working on the Sabbath, that is, the Pharisees and scribes. And this is a very serious accusation because here is this revolutionary rabbi that is going through Israel and teaching, and here his disciples are ostensibly breaking the law. They're saying that what God has instituted doesn't matter. But were they? Were they actually saying that? Or were they, t- were they telling that the, the hall class monitor had overstepped their bounds? That they weren't just enforcing what is right and true about the classroom, but they were actually adding to the rules while the teacher wasn't looking. They were taking God's commands and making them into a ladder to climb for righteousness rather than a mirror to reflect upon our own need for rest, for stillness. And that's why verse 6 is so startling because it almost is irreverent and it certainly would be blasphemous to the religious class because Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's claiming to have the right to interpret the Sabbath for everyone, including the religious elite that had maintained that right for centuries. He's saying that, the, that he's the Lord of God's commands. And this is audacious because he's saying his authority is equal to God's. He's the one who can establish the law's true intention, the Sabbath is real intention. But more than that, what he's saying is that he's actually that which the Sabbath points to, that he's the source of true and lasting rest, that the Sabbath was meant only to be a practice of, only meant to hint at, to be an echo of, that he's the real thing. The Sabbath was always meant to be more than just a ritual, but the sign of entering into eternal rest, the rest of the soul. In 1981, the Chariots of Fire won Best Motion Picture. And it's a little bit dated now, but it's still a great movie. And the Sabbath plays a very important role in Chariots of Fire. Harold Abrahams is plays the part of this secular man. He's the gifted runner. He's at the very top of the field. The work that he's chosen to do, he's almost unparalleled at. He should be happy, but he's not. And he says to his friend, Aubrey, Aubrey, you're brave, compassionate, kind, a content man. This is your secret contentment. I'm 24, and I've never known it. I'm ever in pursuit, and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. The counterpoint is Eric Liddell, the religious man, the Christian. And he says, I believe that God made me for a purpose for China. He wants to go and be a missionary in China. I believe God made me for a purpose for China, but he has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. What's the difference between them? Well, Abraham's can't not work. He's always striving. Even though he's one of the best, it doesn't make him happy. It doesn't make him content. There's still this work underneath the work that even if he crosses the finish line, number one, he still hasn't accomplished his goal, and that is proving himself. That is building his reputation. That is contentment, finding an answer to his longings. Liddell, however, 
when he discovers that the 100 meters is going to be run in the Paris Olympics on Sunday, he chooses to bow out. He chooses to say, I'm not going to run. And most people would watch that movie and think, well, that's kind of strange. You know, that's just religiosity and scrupulosity, but it's not. What it represents is the satisfactions that have been met in Liddell's life and in his heart that he can run with pleasure because there's not work underneath the work. That work has been taken care of. He's not trying to prove himself. He's not trying to bring honor to himself, but he's trying to bring honor to God. And so he can run with pleasure, even if he loses. He's liberated from the work underneath the work. He enjoys his work, but it's not the source of his meaning and his significance in life. Why are we so restless? Why is our rest not restful? Well, in the same way that you can sleep for eight hours and still be exhausted, you can go through the motions of the Sabbath. You can even take vacations. You can work less hours and still lack real rest. Because if we don't have the deep rest, the rest underneath the rest will be perpetually exhausted because we're busy validating ourselves through our work. We're busy legitimizing ourselves through work. We're busy proving ourselves. And so work becomes something that it was never meant to bear. It was never meant to be. And Jesus says in this context to you and I, as well as to the Pharisees and to his disciples, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of rest. He's Lord of peace. He's Lord of stillness. And you'll never get that, that which work is pointing to, that which the Sabbath is pointing to, if you don't understand that he's Lord of all of it. And see, friends, you get to him not by following the routines, but he gets to you by taking all of your restlessness and anxiety and fear on his shoulders at the cross. He worked on your behalf so that you can stop your constant working for approval, for justification, for acceptance. If work is just a proxy for pursuing those things, you'll never have that rest of the soul. And this is the gift that Jesus wants to give you in saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He's not just announcing that there's a whole new routine to approaching God. He's saying, I have come to you. I want to give you rest. I want to give you that which the Sabbath points to, and you'll only find it in who he is. And so therefore, I leave you with his comment in another part of the Gospels. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, if we're honest, we are heavy laden. If we're honest, we had higher expectations for Christianity, that it was supposed to provide things for us that we couldn't do for our own, and yet we still find ourselves searching in the dark. We still find deep longings for certain things, and rest is one of those things. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to work hard, to work well, to make beautiful things, and yet not be slave to the, the things that we make, not be uh, enslaved to work. Father, I pray that you would give us rest, even from those things that you have called us to do, that we would be faithful 
and yet not enslaved to trying to follow the law in order to earn your approval. But let us rest instead on what Jesus has done. As we confess our faith, as we come to the table, make that more and more real and tangible to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.